thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Before we read, you can go ahead and turn that way because we will read. Uh, James is in South Africa with peers, encouraging our church planners from around the world, and he sends his greetings to you. Um, I want you to know a couple things on the front end. I cheated. Um, I'm going to preach a little bit out of every passage, number one, so that's why we're kind of doing it the way that we are. Uh, number two, we never even got to the third passage um, in the first service, so that's a helpful hint maybe for you. And three... Everyone's biggest concern on Mother's Day is, will I make my reservations? I know this, and I will do everything in my path. You will leave this sanctuary on time, okay? So know that. If that means we don't get somewhere, we don't get somewhere. You know, God is bigger than all that. But you needed to know that on the front end, so you're not the people who drive out and go, why did he read 1 Peter? We never even got there. You're welcome. Okay. First Peter chapter five, verses one through five on page 1016 in the Bibles we provide. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples of the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfailing crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to humble. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, please um, come. Let your spirit fall on us as we open up your word. Um, thank you that you promise your word will not return void, but will accomplish the purpose that you set out for it. Thank you that your word is good for teaching and rebuking and training and righteousness. Thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And thank you that your word changes hearts. And so we trust that this morning, that you would take what meager efforts that I have, Father, and you would use them to make your word clear to us all this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are continuing our series on fully human, as you know from the first couple of weeks. Week one, um, James made it awkward and made you take a selfie of yourself so we can remember that we're in God's image. Week two, he made it awkward by making you stare deeply into the eyes of your neighbor to remind you that they were made in the image of God. And then for the next three weeks, we're going to take this idea of being made in God's image and we're going to apply it to the important issues of the day. Today, we're going to talk about from the womb to the tomb. How does it that God values us from there? Next week, we're going to talk about identity, how God creates identity and gender and what that looks like. And then in the last week, we're going to talk about ethnicity and race, racism and racial equality. We're going to talk about how God, people being made in his image affects all of those different things. And for today, your first thought is, wow, what a weird and awkward Mother's Day sermon. You are correct. 
you get assigned topics from time to time. Number two, in light of the leak of Roe v. Wade this week, it's really interesting that God wanted us to be here. This wasn't some political statement that we chose sometime this week. This passage, this topic was set sometime in September or October. So we can trust that God wants us to be right here, right now, for some reason. And as we walk through this, my goal for us today is understanding that our, what God calls us to do is to value all life. All life, to value life that he's created. And we're going to look at it, like we said, from the womb to the tomb, which is three points that I want us to look at today. We value life in the womb, we value life in the world, and we value life to the end. Nice and easy. So first, this idea of valuing life in the womb. When we're going to look at Psalm 139 here in a second, and what's so interesting about that is we read that and we see so clearly God's value for life, and we equate it to abortion, and we realize that wasn't even in David's kind of thought process or wheelhouse, but God continued to work through his word in that. But as we talk about valuing life in the womb, the first thing we have to understand is when does life begin? Um, moms and dads, don't worry. It's not going to be that kind of a sermon or that kind of a lesson. Those are for you guys to have at home. In the general terms, let's look scientifically. We've got a scientist who's going to tell us when life begins. After fertilization has taken place, a new human being has come into being. This is no longer a matter of taste or opinion. It's not a metaphysical contention. It's plain experimental evidence. For years, that was the big debate. When does life actually begin? Even scientists are now telling you life begins at conception. Because in that moment, something new is formed, a new life with the genetic blueprints that it needs, with all the chromosomes it needs to be able to divide and make itself into what we see as a baby. So life begins there. And we need to acknowledge the scientific portion of this because it matters and it's important. But we as God's people don't stay there. We don't stop there. We as Christians go to God's word. Because what does God say about life in the womb? So Psalm 139, we're going to look at just 13 through 16. If you form my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them the days who were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. And Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God values life in the womb because God has relationship with that life in the womb. Not just a scientific thing that we're thinking. He's got relationship. Let's look and see what that looks like. These beautiful pictures he's at work with. Look, we got formed knitted, intricately woven. God doesn't make life like, you know, Detroit makes cars. It's not an assembly line, press, baby, press, baby, press. But that's not how it works. But I think sometimes we think that. It's like, oh, well, God just... What words does God's word tell us? Intricately woven. Any of you out here who are knitters or quilters or do embroidery, that's not a quick work. That's not something you do in a couple hours bored on the weekend. It is painstaking movement. It is having this big picture and you're accomplishing it step by step by step. When God was creating and forming you in the womb, me in the womb, and is creating other children in wombs all over the world, there is an intimate 
portion to it. He is taking his time at work in small, detailed ways, knowing every part and what it does and how it plays. He calls it his handiwork, fearfully and wonderfully made. We hear that and we kind of dismiss it. Yeah, 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 yeah. This word for wonderful was the same word used about the wonders done by Moses in Egypt. He's saying these are miracles. What I do in the womb, what happens in there, life, because we're around life all the time, I think sometimes we get a little desensitized to it. It's like, yeah, people, whatever, you know, all these like chromosomes and blood and everything works. It's look, look at you. You found a way somehow to get here dressed. You look nice. You made a reservation for mother's day. Like, look at that's pretty crazy stuff. You're a miracle. What God is doing in a womb is a miracle. It's a wonder. And he says, fearfully and wonderfully made. And he sees us. Sees. I saw, you saw my unformed substance. And what they say, biblical scholars and translators have tried their best to to do, what is this unformed substance? The best word they can come up with is embryo. What a great picture, unformed substance. This thing that is forming and developing that's going on, how beautiful. And then it says he knows. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before I started to knit together, before I started to pull these things, before I started to weave any part of you, before you were even thought of by your parents, he knew you. God was in relationship with you. He knew everything about you before you were ever around. Life was going on and existing well before you came to this earth and cried for the first time. He's at work. It's beautiful. And then he's got a plan for what does it say? I've written out all your days. Before you were ever born, God had your entire story written out, done, signed, sealed, delivered. Every day, every moment, every word, he knows it all. That's not just a lump of cells. That's just not some thing that we can just kind of say nothing about. It is life, and it is life that God has great intention and passion and love and care for. And because he feels that way, so should we. We need to be a people who defend and love and talk and all that. We should be people who want so desperately for life to be born. Peter Singer, who is an atheist and a professor at Princeton, says this. If infanticide inside the womb is legal, then there's no logical reason why infanticide outside the womb should not be legal as well. Not Christian, doctor. We should defend that. Now, but here's where we're going to pivot and transition for a minute. Yes, God cares deeply about life in the womb, but God cares about life in the world as well. We can't trade one for the other. For those that are saying and they profess the name of Jesus Christ and they kill an abortion doctor, that's not right. For those that proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and have beat and hurt pregnant women who are seeking and thinking about an abortion, that's not right either. We are called to care for all of the ways and all those who created in God's image. Do we want these things to happen? No, but it does not mean that we're the people who are throwing things and doing other stuff to try to stop it from happening. That's not who we're called to be.
And what I find so interesting and so alarming is how many people who are pro-life and all about a baby once it's in the womb, and as soon as it's born, they stop caring. Where is our concern and care for the seven-year-old in the inner city who's starving to death? We fight so hard for these babies to be born, and then we just turn a blind eye and move on to the next pregnant mom to revile. Let's remember that the enemy is not an abortion doctor. The enemy is not a woman who's considering getting an abortion. The enemy is sin in the world, sin in our lives. And what we need to do more than anything else is love those people in Jesus's name. Why? They were created in God's image too. They were created in God's image too. As we think about valuing life in the world, we all say that we value life and that it's sacred and it's precious, but we don't value all life the same. We don't like to admit it, but we all have a hierarchy of what's more important and not important when it comes to people. How they act, how they work, how they live. We don't see everyone as valuable, but one day we will. Martin Luther King said this, the whole concept of the image of God is the idea that all men have something within them that God interjected. And this gives mankind a uniqueness. It gives him worth. It gives him dignity. And we must never forget this. There are no graduations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass, bass black is significant on God's keyboard precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we'll learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. You know what our future is? Living in the harmony that we long for here on earth. It's going to happen. But we so quickly dismiss people. We value the terrible twos. And it's hard to value them sometimes. We value the, like the rebellious teens out there. We value you. We value those who are gay. We value those who are trying to identify gender. We value those who are refugees on our, in our streets and in our towns. We value those who are immigrants from other countries. We value them all for one simple reason. They are made in the image of God. And they reflect a part of his character that we don't. We get the most full picture of God in these other people. And that means that we need to look at people differently. Because think about Jesus, even as the example of this. Think about for a second. I'm going to allow you to do something that Westminster tells us not to do. I apologize in advance. Strict that from the record. Think about what you think about Jesus. You all have an image. You all conjure up an image about who Jesus is. Some of you, he is like a really good looking blonde, like surfer dude, like this hanging out. I don't know what your, your picture is of him, but I bet a thousand percent it's wrong. What does scripture tell us? Scripture gives us one small little, the only glimpse we get into Jesus of what he looks like. No form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected and we esteemed him not. Jesus walks into the room and I'm thinking, that's one good looking guy. Like that's something where, whoo, that guy. He made himself nothing. Took the form of a servant, they were told. What else did he do? How did Jesus live on this earth? He was poor and destitute his entire life. 
What does he say over and over again? I don't even have some place to lay my head. He's homeless. So who to better reflect Jesus than someone who's homeless and poor, because that's how he lived on this earth. And yet we marginalize and we disregard and we don't want to deal with the things that the people that don't look like us, someone with special needs, someone who's from another country, someone who looks different than us. We just marginalize them all that don't look like us. When the truth is they reflect a part of God's character that you could never do. And we see God more fully through them. Think about who God, like, who did Jesus spend time with? Okay, who did he do ministry with? If you think about how the gospels are full of, look at this. Fishermen, tax collectors, prostitutes, leopards, servants, hemophiliacs, paralytics, sinners. The down and out of his society. He loved the unlovely. He touched the untouchables. He was constantly, this was his ministry. This was his life. Why? Because they were made in God's image. He saw something beautiful and divine in every interaction, in every one of them, in every touch, in every story, in every moment, there was something so beautiful that went on. He valued them and he calls us to value him as well. Look at Luke chapter 14, this little bit of the parable. What's he say? Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. How many of the relationships in your life right now are reciprocal relationships? I scratch your back, so you'll scratch my back. Or I hang out with you because you help my social status or you help my bottom line as a client. That we build these relationships with these people because they give something to us. Jesus says, don't just tolerate the poor and the crippled and the lame and the struggling. Don't just tolerate them, associate with them. Do life with them, invite them. Why? Because they can't give you anything. They can do nothing for you. They're not going to help you look cool at a party. They're not going to help you have street cred with other people. Like, it's not going to help you. Go love them. Go associate with them because they're made in my image. And for us, what would it look like to put yourself in that environment? I know Catherine Ann Holt would love to hear from you. If you're like, I, I, want to do, I want to be involved like that. I want people like that around and in my life. She will help you take those steps to get there. There is so much need within our city and they would love to have someone just walk alongside them in Jesus' name and love them. Not fix them, not make them a project, not love them because they're made in the image of God. And then this last idea that we have is that we value life to the end. And it's so interesting at this point in time, for the first time in history in 2020, there are more people in the United States over 60 than under 20. First time in history. Because of modern medicine and because of everything else that's gone on, beautiful, wonderful people are living active, full lives well into their 80s and 90s. And it's interesting how cultures are handling this. The Japanese culture, who is so deferential in some ways, also has this thing called abasute which is literally translated, leave the old woman. And what they do is they will take an old person up on a mountain and leave them and walk away. You're waiting for like the next, that's it. That's what they do. That's how they handle it. 
You think about the Inuit people, they would put their elders at certain ages on the ice flow, cut the ice, and just send them off into the ocean. Good luck. Hope it works out. And we think, gosh, we would never do something so horrible or barbaric. Do we isolate ourselves from people like that? Even emotionally, maybe? Sometimes is the care of like our older, like the older people in our lives just become too much? For those of you who are long-term caregivers right now to older parents or grandparents, I salute and applaud you because you are doing what God would call you to do. And I guarantee you it is difficult and complicated. That it makes your life so much harder because of it. And yet God calls you to that right now. It's a beautiful picture. What else does he say to us? He says us from Leviticus 19.32. Well, let me go back to the Psalm 139. Let's go back there for a minute. In your book were written every one of them, the days were formed for you. The same God who formed you, knitted you, intricately wove you, also formed all your days. All of your days. So if you're alive on this earth right now, if you're breathing, God has a plan for today for you. And that means that people in your life that you see sometimes as a drain, and I've heard conversations. We, we try to be polite in certain circles, but people going, gosh, the economic drain on our healthcare system by these people and all. They're the, I'm like, you only say that when you don't think of a specific person. When it becomes this massive humanity that's no big deal. But would you say that about your grandparent? Gosh, you're such a drain on my resources and the resources of this world. I hope not. If you would, you've got issues, by the way. Like, that's how we operate and think. But God has a plan for them that day. Those people, however old you are in this room today, God has a plan for today for you. And every other day that you're here, and it's important. And what are we to do? It says to honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear the God. And I love this at the beginning. You shall stand up before the gray head. Every time, like, I am so tempted. I, I can't even, like, help myself. Every time Nancy Holstad walks into a room, I just want to stand up. Because she is, like, this loving, faithful, prayer warrior woman who, like, has been so faithful to the Lord day after day for 92 years. When, when someone like that walks in the room, do we think, do we want to honor them like you would a king or a queen, or like the president, you stand up when they come in? Is that what we think? Or do we kind of want to roll our eyes into something else? And what I love is this picture. What does it say? It says that you're going to honor the face and fear the Lord. In one breath, what he's telling us, what Moses is telling us in this moment is, you know how you treat older people in your life is worship. Fearing the Lord is worship. That is a worship. How you love and care for them is worship. It is tied together. And I've got to be honest with you. God has been smacking me in the face with this for like the last two weeks. Um, by nature, I am a very impatient person. Um, you can probably pick up a lot of me, the fact that I've yet to stand still the entire day today, and that's just kind of how I'm wired and made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Just make sure that's clear to everybody first before we start judging everything. And so I don't like lines and waiting at all. So... Um, as God puts these, when you know you're preaching on something, at least for me, when I, when I know he's preaching on something, he just wants to smack you around with it. Like in a sweet, loving, he's, you know, he's sanctifying me kind of way. 
Because basically what happened is I'm at Weigel's and there's two lines at the Weigel's and I'm standing behind a man probably in his mid to late 80s who doesn't know how to use his Weigel's like rewards card. And he's like trying to touch it to things and like moving it around things, waving it in the air, hoping that it's going to work. The guy is trying to help him. I don't think he activated the card, to be completely honest with you, when it came down to it. And there's that moment where everybody in my line sees what's happening and starts to go to line number two. And I'm tempted to go over to line number two. And it's that moment of like, if you're going to preach on this, you might want to believe it. You know, you might want to, you, you might want to live it out a little bit. You might, this might actually want to mean something to you. And so I patiently, no, that's not true. I waited in the line impatiently until 10 people in the other line went. And then eventually, which I still don't think he got his rewards. He paid for the one item he had and walked by. And it was that everything in me to say something kind of nice. I was like, those things are hard sometimes, aren't they? He's like, they sure are. And he walked off and I paid for my thing 20 minutes later. But like, it was like, that's there. And then MJ and I were at Dollywood and I'm like getting in line to get food and I like food and I was hungry and it was like really excited. And there was an old couple in front of me who had a 15 minute conversation about whether to buy the, the souvenir cup so they could bring it back to Dollywood. And I'm not kidding, you think I'm exact. That's literally the only topic of conversation because they were loud and right in front of me. And I'm to the point, I'm like, I'll buy the cup. I'll buy it right now. I'll pay for it. I'll buy you two. You can have two cups, three, 10. I don't care. But it's that moment where I've got to look at my heart. Why am I like that? Why is my convenience more important than their dignity in that moment? So I just had to patiently wait Ah, wait and pray. <laughs> I can't promise it was patient. I waited and prayed. And then at the end, I was like, I, it's always a hard decision whether to spend that much money on that cup. I get it. I understand. That doesn't even begin to describe the fact that two days ago, I'm driving in my lane and a car comes all the way over and I slam on my brakes and I go around the side to give the mean face. Everybody have the mean face or the old man fist of death. One of those two things that you give to people. And I'm like, I'm going to, and it's an old lady. I'm like, want to say good morning to you. Thanks for clipping me almost. I appreciate that. <laughs> I say that to you because I'm probably the only like sinner in here that thinks that way. But like, what does it look, what does it communicate about me that that's my thought process and intention at times with these dear old saints who were made in God's image? And we have the opportunity at this church to do life together like other churches do not. We are an intergenerational church. And because of that, it makes things so much harder sometimes. And then sometimes it makes it so much better. We get a fuller picture of God because we have people in their 90s at this church who faithfully come and lead. And they have wisdom that is so important and so valuable for us to know and to learn and to glean from. We have people of all races at this church. We have people of all different abilities, all different educational backgrounds, all different socioeconomic backgrounds. And it is beautiful. And what we long for is more of that. We want more of that. I want more. I want to see more facets to who God is by seeing more people made in his image. What does that look like for you? As promised, we're not going to get to 1 Peter. It's a promise. I knew it was going to happen. What does that look like for you? 
What stirs up in you? How are you someone who values life in the womb? Who values life in the world in all its different forms? And how are you someone who values life to the end as God does?